guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. Good. Awesome. Doing good. I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. Me too. <laughs> so we have had um, a lot of new Patreon patrons uh, joining us, and we just want to say thank you to everybody who has joined us on Patreon. Um, and then we also wanted to quickly, before we got into the show, just talk about Something that we're planning on doing um, for Patreon just as a little extra bonus content. Melissa has wanted me to talk about a television show with her, I think, for our entire friendship. So I'm going to do it now, and we're going to do it for Patreon. So it's kind of a little mashup of both of our worlds. Um, we yeah. are <laughs> we're going to watch um, Celebrity Big Brother, which is starting soon, and just kind of do a little recap and discuss what we think about about that for Patreon. So if you are interested in that and you're not already on Patreon with us, you can find us at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. There's a lot of bonus content on there. Melissa puts all kinds of stuff on there, including weird stuff. (laughs) Yeah, weird stuff, but including our Patreon bonus episodes that we do monthly. So this will be in addition to that for the duration of Celebrity Big Brother. It doesn't go on for very long. so Very cash. Uh, I think it starts this Monday, the 21st. Yeah. So by the time you listen to this, it will have already started. And we'll just, yeah, very casual. Celebrities, Big Brother. I freaking love Celebrity Big Brother. Mandy, you've not watched Celebrity Big Brother, but you love Big Brother. Yeah. So I love Big Brother. And Melissa loves any reality TV and oh gosh, celebrities. Yes. So mm-hmm. this is... Well, that makes me sound like a creeper. Yeah. I just... <laughs> I love hot mess celebrities, and that's what this is going to be. So... Yeah, I heard um, Lindsay Lohan's mom is going to be on. Dina. Yes. Dina yeah. will be on. Ryan J. Lochte will be on. Oh, my goodness. One of the Braxton sisters is on. It's going to be a mess. I'm super excited. Yeah. So I'm excited I hate to even say that I'm excited, but I am. I'm excited to watch it, and I'm excited to hear what Melissa has to say about it. So check that out if you are interested in something like that. I don't even know how it's going to (laughs) go. We have no real plan here. We came up with this like an hour ago. So, Mandy, you ready to get in the episode? I am ready. Let's go. So for this week, we're going to talk about a terrifying case that involves a person's own child kind of turning against them, which I can't really think of anything more scary than that. After researching this case and learning all about it, the one thing I said to Melissa was, oh my goodness, I hope that my child does not turn on me like this. Um, so well, when they're babies, you don't think that. You're like, they're just so beautiful. They'll never even do anything wrong. And then when they're like 10, they'll roll their eyes at you and you're like, they might kill me in my sleep. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen Yeah, next. It gets very <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. So this is a case, actually, Melissa, that you suggested that we talk about. Yes. Um, you always have a way of pulling these cases from somewhere deep in your memory. <laughs> no, this was in 2006. This was on court TV and I had mono. And so I watched it live every Every day on court TV, I was super invested to this terrible story, but I was also in and out of consciousness with mono, but it was amazing and terrible, obviously terrible, but details in a court TV thing, amazing. Yeah. So it is a very tragic story, but there's also a lot about it that will kind of make you say, huh? And, you know, wonder what exactly happened, um, that led to this. So this case comes to us from the small town of Craig, Alaska. And before we get into the story, Melissa is going to tell us all about Craig in this week's segment of We Googled This City. 
So Craig is a city in the state of Alaska, as Mandy was saying, and the population was only 1,201 as of the 2010 census. So there's not a lot of information on Craig, to be totally honest, besides what happens today that we're discussing. So I kind of looked outside and went to Alaska as more of my muse this week. And uh, Alaska is the only state name that you can actually type on one row of a keyboard. And I know you're visualizing that right now, thinking about typing it. Alaska has the lowest population density in the nation at one person per square mile, making the visual of Alaska my actual dream state. Hey, do you want (laughs) to hang out? (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to, but you're just so far away. So it's perfect for me. (laughs) And lastly, singer-songwriter Jewel is actually from the great state of Alaska. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. Mandy, I hope you're standing still because we've reached the end of these foolish games. And now everyone must ask themselves, who will save your soul? Play me out. Get me out of here. <laughs> Keep going. So Craig, Alaska is one of those places where everybody knows everybody, which, as Melissa said, wouldn't be hard to do because there's not a lot of people living there. So this part of Alaska is an island to the east of British Columbia, and they are off the road system. So the only way to get places is to travel by boat or by plane. Um, I guess you could say it's an isolated location. Personally, I don't think that would be the type of place I would want to live. I want to be able to drive, you know, wherever I need to go. I don't want to have to take a plane. In the early 2000s, the Waterman family was very well known around the community. Carl, and actually he went by Doc Waterman, was a real estate agent and the president of the school board. His wife, Lori, worked as an aide to a special education teacher and put in countless hours volunteering for various causes. She was very active in her church and always ready and willing to help people. Some people who knew her might describe her as a saint because just the type of work and type of volunteer work really that she did, uh, she was just a very, very kind woman. So despite the couple's age gap, with Doc being much older than Lori, the couple had an ideal marriage. They really had a great relationship. They had a couple of children together. So their daughter, Rochelle, was the only one living at home at the time of our story. So she, of course, was raised in a very loving home where she was encouraged to pursue her talents, and she was involved in many extracurricular activities, including volleyball, choir, theater, and academic decathlons. She was extremely smart and performed very well in school, but despite the outward appearance of contentment, Rochelle had a longing for a different life away from small town Craig. She had been born and raised on the island and had never known any other way of life, but as a teenager, she began to feel as though she was missing out on all that life had to offer. And I really wish I could just go back and tell her she wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> it gets worse way worse yeah saying. seriously so but she longed to see bigger cities and began to feel trapped in her little community and i guess she wanted to see the lights and the action and the sounds of people rummaging about <laughs> i guess you just <laughs> and smell the big city <laughs> yeah all of her senses yeah i yeah. get it <laughs> So she had always been an honor student, but her grades had started to slip slightly, which led to arguments between she and her mom. As many teens do, Rochelle began to experiment with her outward appearance as well. She started dressing, I guess you would call it gothic. I don't really know if that's actually a category of dress. I think it's like a whole 
lifestyle. But this is how they described it in the documentary that we watched. And they said that she would just wear all black. She started painting her nails black. She started wearing dog collars around her neck. And this whole look really was not common to see in Craig, Alaska. So she kind of stood out like a sore thumb. But that was her thing. And that was kind of be hard. Yeah. Like if you're the only one in your school dressing this way, I mean, it's a form of expression, that sort of thing. Yeah. So but she used this as a way kind of, like you said, as a form of expression. And another way that she was coping with her kind of teenage angst feelings is that she started blogging about her life on the very popular at the time blogging website Live Journal. So Melissa, I think we talked about this and you did not have a Live Journal. I don't think so. I would have been too afraid for my family to see my thoughts and be hurt. And uh, so I would have kept it on the down low. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I did have a live journal. (laughs) You did not care who you hurt. (laughs) I I didn't. I actually tried to go back and search. I dug through so much stuff. I really tried to dig deep on myself and find out if I could locate my old live journal. And I really couldn't. And I was so upset because... I wish I could have found it. And I mean, I went back into all kinds of stuff just trying to um, figure out what I would have, what my like handle on there would have been or what I would have named it so I could locate it again. And I just couldn't find it. So I was very sad because... I'm not buying it. I think you found it and you decided it was not a good idea to share it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't have shared it anyway, but but I definitely would have liked to go back and just see what like 15-year-old Mandy had to say to the world on LiveJournal. (laughs) But I didn't find it. So that's probably um, better for me anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the title of Rochelle's LiveJournal really said it all. It was called my crappy life. And it's kind of hard not to, you know, I I understand when you're a teenager, like, your feelings are very big, and they are very important. And you're really feeling those things. You really are. And that really is your reality at the moment. But as an adult, it's hard not to be like, okay, Rochelle, like you have your life was not that bad. It just seems a little bit dramatic. So that's what the title of her blog was. And really, the theme of it, like, carried through, you know, that carried through with everything that she wrote about, right? It was either everything was really great. And she was having a great time, or everything was the end of the world. And she just couldn't, she could not deal with it. In her early entries of the blog, she referred to Craig, Alaska as hell Alaska, and talked about how much she hated living there. She blogged about everything from boys to problems with her parents, how bored she was. And she also documented her foray into the gothic look. In November of 2004, Rochelle was going to get a little taste of freedom because her volleyball team had an away game in Anchorage, and she was going to get to fly on a plane to go there. So I played volleyball, and we did away games, but nobody ever put us on a plane anywhere. I wonder if that's just like a little tiny individual, you know, not like commercial flying, like somebody's dad had a plane that could get him off the island. Yeah, but they made a point in that documentary thing that we watched on this story that an away game when you live in Craig, Alaska is really an away game. Like you have to go away (laughs) because if you live in a tiny town, it's not like you're playing against, you know, another high school. There probably is only one high school there. So if you're going to play another team, you have to travel to go play with them. Yeah. What's surprising they were even allowed to do that. That just seems like a lot of money to do this little trip. We would just ride in like smelly vans like that the boys basketball team used and hoped we didn't get killed. And who knew who was really driving at that point? (laughs) 
So, but for her, it was everything she dreamed of to get away from Craig for a little while. She went shopping at a mall and really just enjoyed experiencing what life could be like if only she didn't live in hell. That would be hard as a teenager if that's if you have nothing around. Like as an adult, that sounds like heaven to be away from everyone. But as a yeah. teenager, I can see <laughs> not me as a teenager, but typical teenagers, I can see how like you would like to do things. So at the same time that Rochelle was away for her away game, her father, Doc, was also out of town in Juneau on some sort of leadership event. So Lori actually spent her weekend alone, but she kept herself very busy. On November 14th, she attended a Chamber of Commerce event and planned to enjoy her evening at home. Both Rochelle and Doc returned home from their trips on the same day at almost the same exact time. When they arrived at their home, they noticed that Lori was not there and neither was the family van. Doc and Rochelle assumed that Lori had just gone somewhere, possibly to run an errand or see a friend, but the more time that passed without her coming home, the more worried that they became. Doc called around to some of Lori's friends to ask if they had heard from her, and when nobody had any insight, he decided to call the police to report her missing. So detectives began searching in the woods around town as well as calling local hospitals to see if there had been an accident. Their efforts turned up nothing. Later that evening, detectives interviewed both Doc and Rochelle. Doc told the police that he and Lori had a really great relationship with really no problems to speak of. He insisted that he was a loving husband and that he would fully cooperate with the investigation. Doc also had an ironclad alibi. He could prove that he was legitimately hundreds of miles away in Juneau at the time that his wife disappeared. But Doc did have a few pieces of information to share with the police. He told them about some strange things that he and Rochelle had noticed upon returning home from their trips. In the kitchen, there was a bottle of wine sitting on the kitchen counter, and that was weird because Lori did not drink alcohol. Doc also noticed what appeared to be a piece of latex glove on the floor in the home, and the couple's bed was left unmade, which was another strange thing because Lori kept a tidy home and always made their bed upon waking in the morning. Mindy, can I tell a very small story of what just happened to me the other day and why that would never (laughs) happen to me? Um, Yes. (laughs) So two nights ago, three nights ago, and I posted about this in our Facebook group, I guess somebody came on our street and like opened all the doors that were open in vehicles. And my husband, I love him, but he had went out to get something for my van at like 11 and forgot to lock it. So I love having a fall guy because it was totally his fault. So I (laughs) woke up in the morning, he calls me outside and my van door is open and my, you know, uh, glove compartment box is spilled out. And so, you know, The police come and apparently they've gone to like 10 houses and they've stolen stuff from everybody's cars. They even stole a car because somebody left their keys in their car. They get to my house and (laughs) nothing is stolen. And and I asked the officer specifically, I was like, was it because there was so much junk they just decided? He's like, sometimes if they can't see something right away, they'll just move on. So the moral of the story... Is the, I mean, the only thing I learned from this, and I told my husband, I'm like, this has not helped me keep a clean car at all. It only told me, like, you're doing a good job with your mess. Like, the worst is, I was like, this did not teach me any of the right things I should have been taught. I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm going to make it even messier. So I love this story about her that they would be able to say, oh, yeah, her bed was unmade. That's not normal for her. Because me, it'd be like, her bed was made. Everyone call the police. (laughs) Something is wrong. (laughs) This is not a good situation. So sorry about that. Police obtained a search warrant at this point and combed through the Waterman's home for clues. And in addition to the strange evidence that Doc had mentioned, they also found rope fibers in the couple's bedroom. So word of Lori's disappearance traveled very quickly around the small town of Craig, and it did not take long before the entire community knew about her disappearance. The community was absolutely shocked. 
as we said before, the Waterman family was very well known in the area and nobody could understand who would want to hurt Lori, nor did they believe that she would have just taken off on her own free will. And also, as we said, the only way to get in and out of this island is by boat or by plane. And I read somewhere that even if you take a ferry to get to the next closest place, it's minimum three hours of wow. riding on a ferry. So it's very isolated. You can't just up and yeah. leave, you know, out of nowhere. So the next day, Doc took off work so that he could be available to the police, but Rochelle went to school as if it was just a normal day. Her behavior at school was what could be called bizarre to some people, but of course, everybody deals with stress and, you know, these kind of emotions differently, so it's hard to really judge. But she experienced a very wide range of emotions, and she would go from being sad and crying hysterically to being very angry to then being inappropriately happy and giggly and just joking around. Her teachers were somewhat surprised to see her at school at all, considering the situation that she was in. And one of her teachers actually pulled her aside to ask her if she was okay. And Rochelle said that she was just fine. And she wasn't really even worried about her mom, who she just assumed had gotten drunk and driven off the road somewhere, which is kind of a specific thing to say when your mom doesn't even really drink and everybody who knows your mom knows that she doesn't drink. So well, it was just kind of strange that she would say like that specific thing. But also like if your mom got drunk and drove off the road somewhere, she's still out there somewhere, you know, <laughs> not and like and then went to a hotel. Worried. Yeah, exactly. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> she got drunk. So she's inebriated and wrecked somewhere. And you're like, nah, she's totally fine. That's very, yeah. a very normal thing to happen. No, that's still bizarre. So then on November 17th, 2004, there was a break in the case. A couple of hunters had called the local state troopers out to the woods after coming across a very strange scene. And we are going to get into exactly what the hunters found after a quick word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast. But when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will it fit into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house in real pants. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off with your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash moms and use discount code moms. Oh, Poshmark, you are truly the friend I do not deserve. You guys already know that with Poshmark, you can shop for millions of closets across America. This week, I stumbled across a pair of Maurice's silver and black glitter sneakers for my growing daughter. And by stumbled across, I mean I was searching for shoes for my daughter and found shoes that will actually fit her and has glitter. 
totally winning. They are regularly $60, and I got them for just $19. Thanks to Marie Kondo's Netflix series, we are all getting rid of clothes and items that don't bring us joy. But you know what they say, one person's joyless shirt is another person's new joyful shirt. It's what Marie Kondo would want. Or if you find things in your closet that don't bring you joy, you can tell them thank you and then sell them in your posh closet. With Poshmark, selling is easy for both the buyer and the seller. As our kids grow, literally every single day, keeping them in clothes that fits is a constant struggle. My daughter turns 10 this week and is now wearing a size 7 shoe. She has gone up two full sizes this year. Poshmark is key in keeping her clothed in things that will fit without breaking the bank. Find deals for clothes, shoes, accessories for women, kids, and men for brands like Anthropology, Nike, and Lululemon. Listeners of Moms and Murder get $5 off your first purchase. Just enter the invite code MURDER5 when you sign up. That's invite code MURDER5. And now back to the show. So these hunters that were in the woods um, had actually noticed a very strange cloud of smoke just billowing up in the distance in the middle of the woods. And they followed the trail to get a look at where the source of the smoke was coming from. And what they found was a smoldering minivan that had been burning so hot and for so long that the license plate had actually melted. So they were absolutely stunned and very confused about why this vehicle would be in the middle of the woods. There's not a road. There's no trail. It's just out in the middle of the woods. And so they called 911 to ask for the police to come and check it out. When the officer arrived, he was horrified to see that there were actually human bones inside of the van. As I said, the van was burning so hot that really the only thing that the officer noticed and could determine what it was, was that he thought he had saw a human skull. So the VIN number of the van was somehow still readable. And when they ran it through their system, it was confirmed that this was Lori Waterman's van. Forensic testing, however, would still need to be conducted to determine if the remains inside the van did in fact belong to Lori. But they were pretty sure at this point that that's exactly what they were dealing with. Murder is not something they see a lot of in Craig, Alaska, and considering the fact that it's a remote island that can only be accessed by an airplane or ferry, the police knew that whoever had killed her would have to live locally. You'd think you wouldn't commit any crimes on this town. Like, everyone's going to figure out who you are immediately. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in a town that small, the idea that there is a murderer on the loose is obviously super unnerving. And police at this point turn their attention to Rochelle, which reminds me of Rochelle, Rochelle from Seinfeld. And I'm sorry, I had to get that out. It's just been bubbling in my brain (laughs) and I needed to say it. So when they had the, um, the executed search warrant of the Waterman home, they had actually seized the family computer. And that's when they made this chilling discovery that Rochelle may not have been the happy-go-lucky, perfect student and daughter that they had originally thought. Because, of course, they come upon Rochelle's live journal. And this paints a much different picture of her life and of her mother, her relationship with her mother, really. So upon learning that her mother's remains had been found, Rochelle made an entry to her blog that read, quote, Just to let everyone know, my mother was murdered. I won't have computer access until the weekend. The police took the computer to go through the hard drive. I thank everyone for your thoughts and emails. I hope to talk to you when I get my computer back. Um, okay. (laughs) Like, that was one sentence about your mom being murdered, and then, like, three sentences of, really hope I can chat with you soon, you know, live journal for life. I don't really get... Yeah, The emphasis is in a weird spot. (laughs) It's just very cold and callous to just say, just to let everyone know, my mother was murdered. Like Like a footnote. Nobody talks. 
Yeah. Nobody talks about their parent or anyone they love being murdered in that way. Right. You know, it's just it, it, it's it is odd. It is very strange. I would think it was suspicious if I read that. too. Again, people grieve in different ways, but it is it doesn't help her <laughs> really. Right. Exactly. And so this, of course, is not the only bizarre post. As police start scrolling through My Crappy Life, they begin to see a theme. Rochelle had a really dark side, and she appeared to be depressed in the relationship she had with her mother leading up to this event was put on full display on this blog. So other journal entries um, from September of 2003, I live in the suckiest place on earth, April 6, 2004 current mood angry i had a bad night and a bad day this is my warning to all of you if you piss me off you die how much do you love the current mood things though i mean <laughs> yeah oh my gosh i did okay so i guess that was like a setting yeah. you could do on there like like a drop down menu where you like pick right. what your current mood was but now it's it was funny to me to read that because i feel like you always now on social media you'll see people like doing like the current mood yeah. thing but then i just forgot that like current mood was something we did back in 2004 so i mean i feel like aol instant messenger did it better to be totally honest where it was like uh (laughs) be right back getting my hot pockets and then like a quote from like aristotle and you're like look you're not bright enough for that (laughs) let's be honest (laughs) so may 12th 2004 her entry read life is a dead heartless mass while we live it it turns into a swirling, visceral beast when we are shut out. <laughs> Somebody got at the source for Christmas because I don't know what's going on in that entire thing. Um, it does sound sad. So June 15th, 2004, current mood, sore. Well, I'm grounded. Last night, my mom went psycho on me, and I even got to fly down the stairs. This is going to come up later. Data known, quote, don't you hate it when the little pieces of crap pile up to the point? You're at a breaking point and you want to scream and cry at the same time. I don't know whether to kill somebody myself or just curl up in a fetal position under my covers and lay there for a couple days. Either way, I'm not good. Current mood? Depressed. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot to take in. I'm reading Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please, and I wish I'd brought it in here because she has an entry from her days of like being like journaling and it's basically like life is meaningless, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Everyone should be dead. And she was like, I was 12. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's like just what everybody feels like. So the blog also revealed the identities of a couple of older guys that Rochelle had apparently been hanging around. Brian Riddell originally met Rochelle at a friend's house and the two hit it off. There was only one problem. Rochelle was 16 and Brian was at the time 24. So the two had a very brief flirtatious relationship, but Brian became uncomfortable with their age gap, which I'm assuming is because it's not legal. So he set her up with his friend, Jason Arendt, who was also in his 20s, which I just didn't really understand if that's his friend. <laughs> like, it's not okay for you to date an underage girl, but it's totally fine to set your friend up with her. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really see the logic there. No, um, there, there literally some was no friend. logic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Brian and Jason had quite a story of their own as well. They met at a Bible camp and became fast friends. Their friendship was so serious that they decided to become blood brothers, which I'm not really sure what that means, but I feel like I've heard of kids doing this where they like will cut their hand and bleed and then they swap blood. It doesn't seem very sanitary to me. Melissa, do you want to do this with me? Are you interested? 100% I do not. (laughs) It sounds like a great way to get some sort of disease that you did not intend on having. So um, no, that's a big pass from me, from you or anyone. on bloodborne pathogens. (laughs) Thank you. No, I'm good. Thank you. I'm also not drinking after you, so definitely not doing a blood pact. (laughs) Well, these two took their blood pact very seriously, and they vowed to always do anything, anything the other one needed. And because they had this blood pact, that meant if you agreed to something for your friend, you cannot get out of it. This is just how it is. It's a blood pact. You have to do what you say you're going to do. So these two were not really the most savory of characters, and neither of them was really going places in life or had any aspirations higher than smoking pot and drinking and playing video games. Hanging out with underage girls. Um, Yeah, exactly. Brian's upbringing had been rough as a child. His parents were very strict and would hit him with, they would spank him with belts, broom handles, yardsticks, spoons, wooden boards, really anything. So he bonded with Rochelle when he learned that she too was in what he believed was an abusive relationship, suffering this abuse by her mother because of what Rochelle had told had told him. So he worked at a bookstore and Jason and Rochelle both could be found hanging out there, ordering pizza to the bookstore and just hanging out on a regular basis, doing whatever it is that teenage girls and more than teenage guys do. Jason however, was literally a basement dweller. He lived at his mother's house and stayed up all night playing video games. And by day, he worked as a janitor at the high school that Rochelle attended. It was obvious that Lori Waterman would disapprove of her daughter's choice in boys and wanted more for her daughter than what these two guys had to offer. But since Rochelle was in this phase of rebellion, she actually thought that dating Jason was the perfect way to get back at her mother and... It just really, it was a cycle. The fire was fueled constantly between what Lori wanted for Rochelle and what Rochelle wanted for Rochelle. So in her blog, Rochelle repeatedly alleged that her mother was not the saintly woman that everyone in the community believed she was and that she was, in fact, an abuser. Police became concerned after learning all of this that Rochelle may have actually had a motive to harm her mother. She was interrogated again, and detectives questioned her about her relationship with both Brian and Jason. She admitted to the police that she did have a sexual relationship with Jason, but they had only slept together less than five times. 
She also told police in regards to Brian that he had a bad temper and he would do, quote, a lot for someone he barely knew. And then they asked her, well, what would he do for someone he didn't know? And she was just like, oh, gosh, I don't know. So I don't know what that even means. Yeah, obviously a lot worse. But why would you do anything for somebody you don't know? That doesn't even make sense. Jason was very infatuated with Rochelle, which isn't super surprising because he doesn't really have a lot going on and this teenage girl is showing interest in him. He had tried joining the military after high school, but that didn't work out for him, so he went back to his life in his parents' basement. He felt as though he was deeply in love with Rochelle and wanted to be with her, but he knew that Lori would never allow the two of them to have a real relationship. So the question the police had was, did Rochelle and Jason conspire to get rid of her mother so that they could be together? And that's really what police thought had happened. So they began to press Rochelle even harder for information, but she was very reluctant to give anything up. They asked Rochelle to wear a wire against Jason, and instead of immediately agreeing to do it, as you would really expect if somebody wanted to find out what happened to their mother, she asked if she could take some time to, quote, think about it because she said it felt wrong to trick her friends like that. Hmm. That's an eye roll and a half right there. That just does not – I get not wanting to do something behind your friend's back, but if they have nothing to hide, big deal. They're not going to say anything. Yeah. So detectives did not stop there, however. They brought Jason in for questioning and confronted him with the evidence that they had already had against him and let him know up front that they believed that he was involved in the murder of Lori Waterman. Then on November 18th, 2004, the jig was up. Jason admitted to police that Brian had killed Lori Waterman, and just like that, the blood pack was shattered. Oh, man. That would be the ultimate betrayal, especially after you've shared body fluids. So gross. So (laughs) they asked him to actually wear a wire against Brian, which he agreed to. So Brian said he was nervous when Jason showed up to his house. He knew that his friend was acting really strange, but he thought there was no way he would go against him. So after a little while, he sort of opened up to Jason and talked to him a little bit about the murder. But at some point, he decided that he knew he was in too deep and that he was really most likely going off to prison. So he, at that point, drove to his mother's house to say goodbye and to let her know that the police believe he committed the murder that everyone was talking about. Just a few hours later, Brian was arrested. He had intended to try to take the fall for the entire scheme because that man takes a blood pact, literally. He does. He really does. He was going to be willing to say, like, I did it all on my own. I didn't have anything to do with it. And, like, he was just like, keep your mouth shut, you idiots. I will go to jail for this. Like, if he wasn't such a garbage person, he'd be a really good friend. So <laughs> so Jason had already run his mouth at this point and implicated everyone, even throwing dear Rochelle under the bus. So after Brian was in custody, he came clean about exactly what happened the night Lori Waterman disappeared. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute after one more quick word from this week's last sponsor. So last Friday night, I was up late. I was actually watching a documentary on the life cycle of bees. Just kidding. I was watching Love After Lockup. I realized halfway through the episode that we were out of milk for cereal in the morning because I'm a really good cook and give my family cereal for breakfast. So we're out of a million other things. So I decided to head over to instacart.com to buy my groceries for the week and to have them delivered at a time that was convenient for me. During two of the commercial breaks, I created my order and submitted it for the next morning. I literally woke up and within a few minutes, my groceries were delivered right to my front door. 
If you're tired of driving around looking for parking spots, fighting old women over rye bread, or even putting your kids' shoes back on in the car one more time, check out Instacart. You can use the Instacart app on your phone or go to instacart.com and shop the groceries you need from your favorite local retailers. The Instacart shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce, and if there are any issues with the order, they will contact you when necessary. Instacart will deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They bag them so your hot items stay hot and your cold items stay cold. Try Instacart and get $10 off your first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter our promo code MOMS at checkout. That's $10 off your first order today at instacart.com or through the mobile app. And don't forget to enter our code MOMS. And now back to the show. So Brian was extremely forthcoming with his story about what he had done to Lori. The way he spoke about the crime really sent a chill down my spine. I don't know if you did you watch that documentary and listen to how he talked about. Oh, I did. Um, yeah. Can we? It was. Yeah, it was the most disturbing. It was something. It was something. But Mandy, and I did tell you this, like most people go to prison and they look a lot worse and I'm not saying this was <laughs> a glow up for him, but I was like, wow, prison did not ruin things for you. It did not start off at a good level, but didn't get much worse. Yeah. No, I agree. I think he was like the one person I've ever seen that looked better after spending some years. Not in a compliment. He's still a garbage person. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So according to Brian, Jason had been listening to Rochelle's gripes about her mother for quite some time and eventually came to believe that she was being physically abused so badly at home that her life was in danger. And because he was so in love with Rochelle, Jason felt that it was his duty to protect her and keep her safe from harm, including from her mom. On top of that, Rochelle had repeatedly made comments that she wished her mother were gone or not here or out of her life. And Jason heard enough of this and decided to recruit his blood buddy, Brian, to take care of it. And since Brian took his blood oath very seriously, he agreed to do it. In Brian's own words, everyone who knew him knew that if he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And if he said he was going to come kill you, then he was going to come kill you. These are his own words. And that's exactly what he told Jason that he was going to do to Lori. The original plan was for Brian to approach Lori at the high school as she was picking Rochelle up from volleyball practice one day. His plan was just to simply walk up to her as she sat in her van and use his rifle to to kill her. On the day that he had planned to do this, he realized once he got to the school that he had forgotten the bolt for his rifle, so he called off the murder that day. And instead of taking that as a sign that maybe this is a terrible idea and I should not be doing this, he just continued to plot his next attempt. That We hear that a lot where somebody says, well, I tried to do it this time and then this was going on and I forgot to set my alarm or something crazy. And you're like, well, you, you literally had an option to just say, okay, this was a terrible idea. I got to get out of here. But these people are like, no, I'm more motivated. I'm going to keep going with this. Yeah, I know. It is very sad. So apparently Rochelle actually started pulling away from Jason at this point after this incident. But Jason was so obsessed with her that he could not let it go. And he still kept telling Brian, you know, we got to We got to take care of Rochelle like she's in danger and this and that. And actually, Brian and Rochelle were not really having communication with each other um, at this point. So Brian is just listening to Jason's side of the story. Hasn't even bothered to be like, hey, Rochelle, do you really want your mom dead? <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Like, Quick question. You know, nothing like that. 
Yeah. So the whole thing was just a, a real big mess. So Rochelle had mentioned to Jason that she and her dad would both be out of town at the same time, the weekend of November 14th. And it's plausible that she would have hinted around that that might be a good time to pull off this terrible, terrible plan. So that is what Brian decided to do. And the next few things here are from directly from Brian's mouth. This is not me saying any of these things, but he actually said that he prepared for this murder extensively. He kind of got a little cocky in his interview and said that he knew a lot about forensics and how police investigations worked. And so he, in order to prepare for this, he went out and got shoes from size eight up to size 15, which I don't know why you would do that because that seems like if the police come to your house and you have all these shoes, that's going to look a little strange in and of itself. What was the point with um, that, that he was going to wear a different size, like in the area where... I guess. Okay, so this is like me. This is totally terrible. So I was wondering that too. I'm like, well, I understand if you're going to use all these different size shoes to leave shoe prints, but like I literally pictured him having like shoes on his hands. Yeah. And like, you know, like going around like making imprints because I don't understand what else you would do with all those shoes or what the point of it would be. Yeah. Yeah, no, but yeah, <laughs> now you just have a lot of shoes and it looks like you have some, you know, you're into shoes, you're into feet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you have a Poshmark closet. Maybe. I don't know. So he also collected multiple baggies full of dust and dirt from random different locations to spread around the crime scene just to kind of muddy the waters even further. And he wore multiple layers of freshly washed clothing and also shaved every strand of hair off of his body and made sure that he was what he said well scrubbed so that he would not leave any skin cells behind. I don't think that's a thing. I'm pretty sure you can still shed skin cells even after you took a shower. So on the night of Lori's disappearance, Brian went to the home and let himself in through the cat door. He said that he had long arms and was able to reach up through the cat door to unlock the door to get inside the home where Lori was already upstairs preparing for bed. At one point, Lori either saw or heard something and got up to check out, uh, check it out. But Brian hid inside the house until she went back to her room and got in bed for the night. He said that he waited there for a while before working up the nerve to actually make a move, which I don't something about. I mean, this whole thing is absolutely terrible, but there's something about the fact that he stayed in the house and. Yeah, just for hours. He said he just stood there and like didn't know what to do. So he just kind of sat there in silence. And that is just so creepy. And and that she kind of knew something like, you know, she thought she heard something and, you know, checked it out and everything was fine. And then it wasn't, you know, that's upsetting in itself. It, it really is. He then went into Lori's room and kind of silenced her by placing his hand over her mouth and telling her that she needed to do everything that he said. And as he was describing this, I was legitimately horrified um, because he just talked about it with such ease, like this is just no big deal. But he said that humans will do almost anything if they believe that they have a chance at surviving or getting out of this bad situation. And he admitted that he played upon that human instinct that Lori had and said, like, he was like, you know, I know it sounds messed up, but people will do anything if they think that, you know, you're going to let them go. And I, it was just very, it was gross, like to hear him even talking about Wasn't that. It crazy to see him on this though. Like after this has already happened, this is like what, 14, 15 years ago. And to hear him telling this story, I don't know why, like it's, 
it's weird to hear somebody um, admitting to something because, you know, it's, typically it's like, well, I was never there. This didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, here are the, all the things that I did. And like kind of cocky about the long arm thing. Like that was like a sign yeah. of strength or something. He's like, my arms are really long. Yeah. Well, congratulations, buddy. That literally means nothing to anyone. Yeah, it was very strange listening to him talk about it for sure. So once he had gotten Lori out of her bed, he led her downstairs where he forced her to drink nearly a whole bottle of wine so that she would become extremely intoxicated. And then he could set her death up to look like a drunk driving accident. Brian then put Lori in the back of her own minivan and drove her 40 miles away to a remote location that he had prior knowledge of and knew how difficult it was to drive out to. After they arrived at the location in the woods, Lori kept asking um, Brian one thing, and she just kept saying if she could ask him a question, and I guess he never let her ask the question because there's no, I never found any documentation of what the question right. was, but she just kept saying to him, um, can I ask you a question? And at this point, he said that he did start to feel a little bit guilty about what he was about to do, but he told her that... All of this was happening so that she would never be able to hurt her daughter, Rochelle, ever again. Brian got Lori out of the van and attempted to break her neck initially, but he realized that that was not going to work. And at that point, it would definitely look like a murder and not an accident. So instead, he placed his hands over her mouth and nose and suffocated her. At this point, he panicked and he had to come up with a quick plan to dispose of all the evidence. So he put Lori back inside the van poured gasoline on everything and lit it on fire and also took off all of his clothes and burned all of them um, along with it. He was then picked up at a nearby location by Jason and the two of them just went on their way. When the case went to trial, Brian testified that Rochelle had masterminded the entire event, which of course she denied. Brian said that he hadn't actually spoken much to Rochelle in the weeks leading up to the murder, but that Jason had been the one to keep encouraging him to carry it out. So just imagine if he would have just been like, hey, this isn't my problem. You two do it. You know, would, would it have ever happened? Yeah. Jason may have never, you know, done it, really. So after some time had passed, Brian began to feel as though he may have made the wrong decision in killing Lori. No duh. He became upset when he learned of a letter that Lori had written to Rochelle just shortly before she was killed. And this was heartbreaking, totally heartbreaking. So it reads, quote, my dearest daughter, I'm sorry things are tense between us right now. Please don't feel like I think you're a bad person because you're not. I know I worry too much about you, but that's what moms do when they love their daughters as much as I love you. I feel you pulling away from us. I want us to be close and you to be able to tell me things and just talk about nothing or anything. I wish you understood how much you were loved. My gosh. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Just reading that is like so heartbreaking. Yeah, I, it, this whole thing was just so pointless. Uh, all murders are pointless, but this one really just, as a mom, this one really kind of hurts. Um, so Brian realized too late that Rochelle had most likely been lying about every single bad thing she ever said about her mom and that Lori really did love her daughter and wasn't abusing her in the slightest. Rochelle's first trial was in 2006 and it ended in a hung jury. She was retried in 2011 and she was found guilty of criminally negligent homicide because she had told the two men she wanted her mo mother dead and then she failed to warn her mother or alert police when she learned that the men had actually intended to kill her mom. So Rochelle was sentenced to three years in prison for her part in the scheme. So Rochelle attempted to appeal the court's decision on the grounds that she was only 16 at the time of the crime and therefore was not mentally mature enough to be able to assess the gravity of the situation or the outcome. Um, don't you feel like you just got a sweet deal and maybe you should just leave it alone and serve your three years? Yeah. 
I didn't understand that. And even and but but even for her attorneys to be like, let's appeal this, like you would think they would even tell her, like, you just need to be quiet and don't do anything in jail to like mess up. But you know, up, you know, you her know, dad like, is still around. He he loves his daughter. You know, he's gonna want the best thing for his daughter. You never know how that really played out behind closed doors, really, I guess. So Rochelle originally served a year and four months following the murder from November 2004 to February 2006. Since she got a three-year sentence, she only had to serve another eight months in custody, which she served more than 10 years after the murders took place. And as far as we can tell, she is out and living her life up in the great state of Casey Anthony, the state of Florida. (laughs) So go. I know anytime we try to say like something good about Florida, something like this happens, and you're like, okay, fine. Rest of the world, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. It's a dumpster fire here, but we have nice beaches. So, Mandy, do we have any last things before we go? So, we do have a couple last things before we go. I'm taking these right from our Facebook group. The first one that we are going to talk about is from um, Angie A. And she wants to know, what do we do when we're locked in the house due to weather? So I know a lot of our friends up north are having a terrible blizzard, snowstorm. My mom lives in New York and she told me today they're going to get like multiple feet of snow. It's like, it's a whole thing. Obviously, we don't live where we have to worry about snowstorms. But what came to mind for, for me was hurricanes in this situation. So Melissa, what do you do when you are locked in the house? Let's say Let's up the ante. Let's say you don't even have power. What do you do when you don't have power after a hurricane or after a big storm? Well, first of all, you've already got everything plugged in and charged. Like you are charged to the guilt on everything. Every iPad, every <laughs> phone, every, you're just conserving energy. You're pretending you read to your kids a lot. So there's a lot of books coming out. Everybody's playing a board game, but nobody really wants to play a board game because it's Florida and it's hot. So you're miserable. So now you're just eating snacks. So everyone's just eating all the snacks. You're just- <laughs> It's just constant food and chips. And then you think, well, do we open the freezer to just grab the ice cream? We don't want that to ruin. So then you're into the ice cream. And then you're just hoping and praying that somehow the lights will come on. But if you were me when I lived in uh, another town, like we didn't get power for like 10 days there. So we stayed with my in-laws. It's miserable in Florida to not have power during a storm. And I'm so sorry to all of our friends who don't have electricity in the like in a winter storm, that's actually way more dangerous than here in Florida where it's just hot. You're just sticky. Oh, and you just feel like you smell. I'm going off on the wrong thing. What do I do? (laughs) I just eat snacks and pretend I read a lot and grab a book and just try to keep your kids from fighting. That's really all you can do. Yeah. So um, last time we had a hurricane, we actually had a house full of people because – Uh, Some of our friends that live in South Florida needed to evacuate. Um, They were going to get hit way worse than we were. So they needed a place to go quickly. And we just said, why don't you just drive up here and stay with us? And so that was fine. And then we had some other people from the East Coast come to our house. It was kind of a nightmare. There was a lot of people in my house. And And your windows were boarded up. (laughs) My windows were boarded up and everything. So it was like living in a bunker with like four families. It was way too much. But anyway, on that note... Obviously, um, the adults that came, they all wanted to bring, they brought some beer and stuff with them. They're like, you know, we're not going to have power, whatever. This is actually such a funny story. I will never forget this or let this person live it down. On like day two, they were drinking their beer and like 
all of a sudden, this person asks me, they're like, what does it mean if my can of beer says N-A on it? And I was like, I'm pretty sure that means it's not alcoholic. And so this whole time, they had just been drinking like these beers, didn't realize they have no alcohol in them or anything. (laughs) And it was like such a terrible time for them after that, which I was like, I'm sorry, I don't have any more beer to give you. So (laughs) this is all you have. But it was just funny because they came expecting that. So I guess that's what a lot of people do. Of course, I have kids, so they don't let me sit down and just relax in that way. But then you were talking about like feeling gross and hot and sticky. And like, I think my Least favorite thing about that. Well, we never lost power, by the oh, way. Yeah, I know, uh-huh. I know terrible you still, for you. <laughs> I know you still hate me for that. Mm-hmm. But um, when we do lose power at my house, it hasn't happened a lot since I've lived here. But we are, we have a well. So I don't get any water at all. Like not cold water, not hot water, no water. Like if we don't have power, we don't have running water at my house. So I don't want to hear about your complaints about having to take a cold shower. I just don't. I'm so sorry. I don't feel bad for you, Melissa. Electricity over water (laughs) every single time. I can throw deodorant on and splash water in my face, take a cold shower. Sure. But then the end of the day, my kids are screaming. There's nothing to do. You just want to check the weather. You just want to like, you want to be able to call. We lived out in the woods. so You couldn't even call because like we had to have like cell signal and you couldn't even call to be like, hey, when will the electricity come on? <laughs> because you didn't have electricity. You didn't have internet. Yeah. So um, well, now it's also different because I feel like everybody has a car charger like, yeah, yeah. for their phone. So if you really are like that hard up and you don't have power, like you can just go plug it into your car. It's just really a world that we days. live in now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear yeah. it. But no, yeah, there's not really a lot to do when you are trapped. And I get cabin fever very, very quickly. And I just want to go outside and um, get away from people. So I do understand how terrible that can be. But, you know, we feel for you. Yeah. But we just do the usual things. We try to play games. We try to really just keep everybody from killing themselves Um, and not themselves. Killing each other. other. Well, accidentally killing themselves because you can't call 911 and get any help if somebody's accidentally hurt themselves. It's just a mess. Yeah. Okay. I don't even want to think about this because we have a few months until hurricane season. So keep going, man. Yeah. So we will do one more. Um, This one comes from Chrissy P in our Facebook group. And she wants to know what is our love language um, as in or what strange way do we tell people that we love them or show people that we love them? You go first on this one. So my like actual official love language is quality time. I feel like I don't really I don't I don't need like a whole lot of physical affection. I just like spending time with people that I care about. You know, I know, Melissa, you're not a hugger, which is actually fine because I'm actually not really much of a hugger either. I will hug people, but I'm not really like a big. big, I like the visual I'm getting there. That shows me you don't (laughs) hug people very often. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not really that important to me. I don't like I'm not big. I don't have to get gifts. You know, gifts are nice, but they don't they don't impress me to the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, I know you love me so much because you gave me this nice thing. Like perfect. Everybody buying you another gift. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, everybody likes getting gifts, but you know, but I like acts of service and quality time. I guess those are my like top two. I like it when people help me do things I need help with. And that's (laughs) just do things for me. (laughs) Let me be lazy. (laughs) Oh, you set yourself up real pretty there. (laughs) So mine would probably be acts of service. I like that one too. Um, um, But also 
this isn't like really one. I think mine's isn't words of affirmation one. Like, yes. okay, so that's a big one for me. But I don't even know if it's so much words of affirmation. Well, it might be like, I remember I worked at a job and I worked so hard, I worked for a surgeon and like, he would always just be like, hey, MR, great job. And it would mean so much because I would work so hard and, you know, like you get like little tiny things and you're like, oh, that's great. I'm, I can keep going for 10 more days, you know, 10 more weeks yeah. at this <laughs> level. And so that was good for me. And then like, this isn't a love language, but sarcasm, like that is totally I'm fluent in sarcasm. That's what I like. When people can joke with me and get along in that way, like I'm like living in that moment. Like that's peak Melissa is just sarcasm heavy. And if I can banter with somebody, that's everything for me. Like that's my entire I life. just, I do. I remember like early on in our friendship, like back when we first started friend being friends, friending, <laughs> friend being, being friends. friends. All right, got it. I can't even remember. I can't even count how many times you thanked me for laughing at your jokes. And I'm like, why are you thanking me for laughing at you? I have always thought you were so funny. But yeah, so well, I'm glad that I'm glad that me acknowledging that you're funny <laughs> makes you feel good. That's Apparently, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. No, it's different because some people don't get my sense of humor. And so it can come off a little off, I guess. But then a lot of times those people are not funny. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm not really losing in this category. You totally are. Um, but yeah, that's like my big thing. Like I, um, my sister and brother-in-law and my husband and friends, like everyone that I really surround myself with, Mandy, you two, are all funny people. And so whenever I'm around that, like I just feed off of it. And that's like the best thing in the world for me. It's just, I can laugh about any situation, which is not a good thing. It's not always a good thing. There's... There is definitely a funeral I tried to make jokes at, and it was my grandfather's, and it did not go well. But that is just (laughs) – that's how I live. So this went on for a while. My apologies, everyone. Um, So, Mandy, we are – we're good. Good show. Good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Melissa, we are good. And um, just quickly, again, I know we've said this the last couple of episodes, but um, if – if you're new to us and you don't know what you just listened to, um, at the at the end of our show, we always do our our little segment. Um, last thing before we go, it's just like a little palate cleanser. So after you've heard a terrible, horrible murder story, you can we can kind of lighten the mood a little bit. So some people like it, some people don't. If you don't like it, you can skip it. Skip on to the I next. You're going to say like suck an egg or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never say anything that mean. But yeah, if you don't like it, just skip to the next podcast in your playlist. You do not have to listen to it. I know a lot of you do enjoy it, so thank you for those of you who and actually enjoy it. Thanks for telling this. us. Clearly, that is. I need to hear that. <laughs> thank exactly. you for loving me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that is the episode for this week. And um, we will be back next week. And also, we have some exciting things happening in the next few weeks. All the excitement. I'm so excited. We're so excited. We can't say anything yet, but we're super excited. Yes. Just match our level of excitement. Yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. And quickly before we go, today is my daughter Ashlyn's 10th birthday, and I'm only going to let her listen to this part, but Ashlyn, happy birthday. I love you so much. You're the light of my life. You're so special and so funny, and keep being you, and be weird, have fun, and I hope the next 10 years are even better than the last 10 years. I don't know if that's appropriate to say to a small child, but that's what I'm saying to you. You're used to me saying stuff like this. I love you so much. Please don't kill me. I love you. Happy 10th birthday. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.